So you may have already figured out that my prepared message for this weekend is around this theme of prayer. So let me ask you this question. Do you feel as if you have prayed more in about the last six months than you have prayed in your whole lifetime? Now, if you have, you're probably not alone. In fact, I will confess I've prayed more in the last six months than I probably have in my whole lifetime. I haven't done a study or I have not timed it or added it up, but that's just how it feels. You know, prayer is one of those practices of the spiritual life that we know we ought to do, we know we should do, but we rarely engage in it and we rarely participate in it. Maybe maybe more than we realize, but it's one of those things that we often feel guilty about or that we feel like we should do more. And then we often do it because we find ourselves in a moment or a circumstance in which we're struggling. We have no answers. We're concerned about a friend, we're concerned about our love, and we're concerned about our world, or we're simply anxious and fearful. Our relationship status, I think, with prayer is often like that person's relationship status on Facebook where we say it's complicated. And it's complicated, again, because we know we need to pray. In many ways, we want to pray. And it's an important practice for our spiritual life. But if you're like me, we feel like we're going through life just rushing headlong and, and going from one thing to another and we feel as if we don't have time to pray or we can't settle our hearts and our minds and our bodies down long enough just to stay still or be still and pray. And so there's this feeling of guilt over not praying enough and in order to avoid the guilt we end up not praying at all or just kind of avoid the subject. Then there's a question I think of what constitutes prayer. Is it spoken? Is it silent? Are our eyes closed? Do we keep our eyes open, hands folded? Do we rest them on our lap? Do I use written prayers or do I simply speak whatever is on my heart as it comes to me? Is that a prayer? It's going to all feel overwhelming. In fact, it feels like sometimes we may just overthink prayer, which we probably do. And then, of course, some pastor comes along and records a sermon on prayer and you already feel bad enough about not praying enough according to some external standards, so you decide you're going to shut the video off at this point. Well, I'm going to encourage you, don't touch that button. Don't touch that dial. Because I want this to be an encouragement around the practice of prayer. Because I believe that prayer, however we define that, whatever that looks like for us, has this potential to offer us a way to live with energy and hope in the present. So I thought about my journey around prayer and in prayer. And I can attest that at 57 years old, at 30 years plus of pastoral ministry, and having grown up participating in church on a regular basis, prayer has in some ways taken on a new reality in my life. And it's less about how maybe my prayers have changed the world, and maybe they have, I don't know. But it's more about how prayer has changed me. So. As I began to think about my recovery story in prayer, I identified three moments in my life that seemed significant that sort of invited me back into prayer. And I'm just going to share those briefly. The first moment I identified was basically this, the kids moving away on their own. As you know, we have two kids, Aaron and Chad. Chad lives in Durham and Aaron lives um, in Los Angeles and they're both with their partners, Aaron with Avery and Chad with Katie. And uh, they moved away a few years ago, college, graduate school, and then jobs, and, and finding their own way, finding their own path. 
But I don't know what it was about that, but there was something about them moving away where I realized, or maybe it just came to me, that I didn't have as much control around helping guard and protect their world. Now, control is kind of an illusion. I'm not saying I tried to control them when they were at home, but they were closer and they were nearby, and I felt like I could help provide around their world in a way that maybe helped them feel at ease and at peace and safe, and probably helped me feel at ease and at peace and safe. But now that they're out on their own, now that they're away, now that they're places where we have to travel to, I find myself praying for them. I find myself praying that they would find wisdom and strength and grace in whatever they need to handle life's challenges. I pray that I'm, 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 I find that I, I'm praying for them to, to be protected. I find that I'm praying for them to have good days and to flourish and to live life to the fullness. So something about the kids moving away invited me into prayer because that was my way of providing for them in a way that I couldn't because they were no longer close by. A second moment was uh, a couple years ago. I was diagnosed with asymptomatic prostate cancer, which essentially means I have no symptoms. But the biopsy did discover the presence of cancer cells in my prostate. Now, I'm grateful that I have no symptoms. I'm under a program which is called active surveillance, which means I go in periodically for biopsies about once every 12 months, sometimes every 18 months. I go for MRIs about once every 12 to 18 months. I have conversations with my doctor. I take blood tests. It's very, very, very good prognosis. But still, just the fact that I am diagnosed in this way gave me somewhat of a gentle wake-up call that, as one of my friends would often say, life is not a dress rehearsal. In other words, I try to keep this open space in my soul and heart and pay attention to what God might be speaking to me on how to live life well, how to live it fruitfully, how to steward my time well, knowing that I'm mortal and that even my body breaks down. So how can I care for myself and take great care to live as fruitfully as possible? And then this third moment really was in this last year, the pandemic, which has no official starting date, but. About the middle of March, our life as a faith community had been affected, and all of our lives in one way or another have been affected. And I realized that I needed, or I felt drawn, to reopen this space in my soul for God to be present so that I could make a space for wisdom, for peace, for guidance, for calm, and any other gift that God would grace me with so I know, and knew, know both how to function during this pandemic and how to pastor during this pandemic. Now, there have probably been other moments in my life which invited me back into prayer or which deepened prayer in my life or invited me to what I like to call and say is reopen a space in my spiritual heart and soul for prayer. But these are three. Uh, our kids living away at a distance, um, my diagnosis of prostate cancer, and then this pandemic, and then all sorts of other moments in between that, which basically just remind me that I don't have control of life. I don't have control of what happens around me. Um, I don't have control of what happens to me. The only thing I can control is how I respond and how I choose to respond. And for me, prayer has become this way to open up a space for God to be present in my life, as well as a way for me to hold others and the world in God's healing love and grace. Let me say that again. 
Prayer has become a way for me to open up a space for God to be present in my life and for me to be present to God as well as a way for me to hold others and hold the world in God's healing love and God's healing grace. You know, I find myself resonating with these words uh, by the author Wayne Mueller uh, from this wonderful little book, Learning to Pray, that I mentioned earlier in the worship. And here is what Wayne Mueller writes. Every day there are moments when I find myself drawn to pray. I pray because I must, because regardless of my good intentions, I lose my bearings. I make mistakes. I'm stopped by the way the world challenges and confounds my plans. When a loved one is beset by illness, ache, or fear, I pray their healing may be deep and true. When I feel suddenly lost or lonely, I pray for the comfort of a nourishing spirit that will teach me, show me the way. At other times, my prayer is filled with gratefulness for the numberless blessings showered on my life. And in these moments, my prayer is astonishingly simple. Thank you. Now, at the end of Mark chapter 9, as I read earlier, Jesus has this very short exchange with his disciples. They're a bit confounded as to why they were unable to throw out this spirit that was terrorizing this young boy, causing him to have seizures, distressing physical manifestations, tormenting him, grinding of the teeth, foaming, throwing himself around, uh, the young boy wanting to hurt himself and kill himself. And in a moment of desperation, just a complete moment of desperation, his father pleads to Jesus, if you can do anything, help us, show us compassion. And then Jesus invites the Father to exhibit faith and then says um, to the Father, if you have faith, I can make him well. And the Father responds, I have faith. Help my lack of faith. And in many ways, I think this is probably the most honest prayer in the Bible. You know, a lot of my prayers are simply this. If you can do anything, help us, help me. I think I've probably prayed that prayer more in the last six months than I've ever prayed. If you can do anything, help us, help me. Followed up by these words, I have faith, help my lack of faith. Sometimes I enter into prayer and I'm not sure I've got all the faith that I need to have to believe that God can do what God can do or to believe that God's grace and mercy and power can do what needs to be done. So all the while I'm praying, I have faith, help my lack of faith faith. And in a private moment with Jesus, the disciples ask him, why couldn't we throw out this spirit? And then Jesus answered them, throwing this kind of spirit out requires prayer. And there it is, I guess. And what Jesus is saying to them, you, you cannot do this on your own power. You cannot do this on your own wisdom. You cannot do this with a program. You cannot do this necessarily in your own strength. You can only, only do this through prayer. And whatever that looks like and however that is defined, and we'll look at that in a little bit. But what I hear Jesus saying is this. We live in a world in which destructive spirits exist. And the only way we will have the spiritual strength to confront, if you will, these spirits and bring wholeness to our world is through prayer. And it's that experience of making space for God in our hearts and souls so that God can fill us with what we need 
And we can then bring that fullness of God, as Paul talked about in Ephesians, to do and give whatever the world needs and whatever our lives need. Now, when I say destructive spirits, I probably think things that are kind of Hollywood-like, things that are kind of just very out there. But when I think of destructive spirits in the context of this story, what I mean are ways of living and ways of existing that diminish life in this world and diminish life for others. For instance, for, for example, the spirit of violence or a spirit of hate and vengeance, spirit of divisiveness and polarization, a spirit of resentment and bitterness, a spirit of exclusion and racism, a spirit of fear, a spirit of resignation and apathy, a spirit of cynicism and despair, maybe even a spirit of hopelessness and fatalism or a spirit of sickness and a lack of wholeness. And to say that it is a spirit is simply to say that it has a life of its own. It is not benign. It has the power to bring, to bring destruction. It has the power to bring despair. And all of these things that I mentioned do. It has the power to diminish our lives and to diminish the lives of others. It is what I often call anti-life. But in this encounter, in this encounter with these life-diminishing forces, Jesus tells us that the possibility for wholeness and life still exists. And that's the good news. In the encounter with these life-diminishing forces, Jesus tells us that the possibility for wholeness still exists. It's in this story of the tormented son that Jesus tells the father all things are possible for the one who has faith. So in other words, keep the faith. Keep the faith. It won't always be about hate and vengeance. Keep the faith. It won't always be about divisiveness and polarization. Keep the faith. It won't always be about exclusion and racism. Keep the faith. It won't always be about fear or cynicism or, or hopelessness or sickness. Keep the faith. And when I hear those words, it tells me that prayer is simply making space in our hearts and in our world for the possibility of life and wholeness to be a reality in our life and in the life of our world. Prayer opens up a space. Prayer opens up a space in our hearts and our world for a different kind of spirit to be present, a spirit of reconciliation, a spirit of hope, a spirit of love and goodness, a spirit of courage, a spirit of wholeness and healing, a spirit of wisdom and guidance, a spirit of inclusivity, a spirit of welcome and hospitality and compassion, a spirit of loving our neighbor, Prayer is that experience. Prayer is that journey. Prayer is that way that we open up space for God's fullness to fill us with whatever we need to bring that kind of spirit to this world. That is the possibility. Again, I find Wayne Mueller's words helpful from his book, Learning to Pray, when he writes, Evil can prosper only when hearts are willing to remain hard and unresponsive. Every act of kindness courageously offered, however small, is a small flower sown in a field of peace. In the face of evil, our life becomes a prayer. And then he adds this. All healing, all grace, all glory comes from God. Our work is not to create the world, but to live well in it. We are not the head of this family. We're more likely to find heaven on earth when we begin to trust in forces larger than ourselves. Forces wise and good. 
that shape the currency of our days. When we pray, we consent to be taken. We consent to be surprised. We place our lives in the hand of a loving God. Let me read that again. When we pray, we consent to be taken. We consent to be surprised. We place our lives in the hand of a loving God. And as we place our lives in the hand of a loving God, may we hear this prayer again from Paul in his letter to the Ephesians, quote, And I ask that God will strengthen you in your inner selves from the riches of his glory through the Spirit. I ask that Christ will live in your hearts through faith as a result of having strong roots in love. I ask that you'll have the power to grasp love's width and length, height and depth together with all the believers. And I ask that you'll know the love of Christ that is beyond knowledge so that you will be filled with the fullness of God. And there is that phrase again. You will be filled with the fullness of God. And so maybe prayer is simply making space for the fullness of God to fill us so that we can be conduits of God's grace and mercy and allow God's fullness to flow through us into the world, into all these moments and spaces where life is diminished, where it feels like life is being diminished, where there are all these anti-life spirits out there, if you will, spirits of divisiveness and hate and bitterness and, and violence and revenge and, and, and polarization and unkindness, all of these out there. Maybe prayer is making a space for God's fullness to enter us and then we can share that with the rest of the world. Now, at the risk of oversimplification, I want to close with this. I want to offer um, a simple acronym using the word PRAY, P-R-A-Y, as a way to maybe think about what this looks like on a kind of practical basis through our day. So this is what I would offer. Um, first is to pause. There's the P. Take time during your day to simply pause. Make space for God to be present in your day, in your spiritual heart and soul, whatever time of day works for you, which means we probably need to slow down, which means that we create openings in our schedule, which means we create opening in our hearts. Maybe we pause before our day starts. Maybe we pause at lunchtime. Maybe we pause at mid-morning, mid-afternoon. Maybe we pause at night. But the first invitation is simply to take time to pause and make space for God to be present in our day. And we're not really doing anything. We're just pausing. We're stopping. We're hitting the pause button and being present to God in the moment. Because God is always present. God is always around. God is always here. It's not that God isn't present to us. Most of the time, it's we're not present to God. And we become present to God when we hit that pause button. The second is to receive. Receive whatever God might have for you in that moment, even if it's the awareness that you're loved deeply by God. Or in that moment of pausing, you're reminded of a moment of grace and gratitude. Or maybe it's an awareness of an area in your life that needs attention. Or maybe it's an awareness that, that there's a relationship that you need to address. But receive in that moment whatever God has for you. I know a lot of times it's hard for us to receive gifts from friends. How often has someone wanted to give us something, even if it's a compliment or an affirmation or a gift, and we say, no, no, thanks, I don't want that, or I don't need that, or you shouldn't have. I think sometimes that's how we are with God. 
God wants to gift us in life. And we are ready to receive, but we have a hard time receiving. So prayer is often simply receiving. We pause and then receive whatever God has to give us in that moment or in that day. And then we ask, ask what you most need from the divine, from God. I find it very interesting that one of the questions that Jesus asks in the Gospels to those around him is often this question, what do you want or what do you need? So ask, ask what you most need from God for the moment, for the day, whether it's strength, whether it's wisdom, whether it's courage, whether it's hope, or maybe you're asking on behalf of someone else. Don't edit it, just ask. The possibility exists. And when we ask, we simply are opening up space in our life and in our world and in love on behalf of others for God to act. And then the last is simply this, to yield. And what I would say is to yield the day to God, to yield the moment to God, to yield to divine presence, knowing that we have control over our choices, but we don't have control over what happens around us we often don't have control over what happens to us. And so we yield to God, knowing God is with us and goes with us through our day. And this is really what it means to consent. Consent to be taken, consent to be surprised, placing our lives in God's hands. We yield to God. We give God, if you will, the right of way. Uh, the right of way in our life. The right of way to direct us. The right of way to guide us the right of way to be present in our life. So when we think of pray as we go through our day, as we go through our life, pause, receive, ask, and then yield. And if that works for you, great. If it doesn't work for you, use the word pray, uh, P-R-A-Y, and come up with your own acronym. But whatever we choose to use, whatever ways or methods will we use, uh, what if prayer was just simply this again? creating and opening up a space for God to be present in our life. Opening up and creating a space for us to be present to God. And then opening up and creating a space for God's fullness to flow into our lives. The fullness of God's love. The fullness of God's mercy. The fullness of God's wisdom. And even the fullness of God's strength and power. And then we can take that fullness into our world into the places that we live, into the places that we serve, into the places that we love, into the places that we want to be that kind of person that makes a difference in this world.